What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Wednesday, November 10th. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What a Day. Reminding people with cardboard boxes of Christmas decorations open on their laps right now to just, you know, take a breath. Yeah, you know, if you feel like the second week of November is your time, Mm. I'm not going to say anything, but other people might. (laughs) On today's show, Moderna reportedly takes full credit for making its COVID vaccine, despite the federal government helping out. Plus, workers at more Starbucks stores in Buffalo, New York, want to join the union movement. But first, the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow wraps up in a few days. The event brought together leaders from all over the world to make pledges on what their countries would do to combat climate change. And it also brought together hundreds of thousands of environmental activists who said that those leaders weren't doing enough. So there was a lot to take away on what happened and who's working to keep the lawmakers accountable. Luckily for us, the host of Crooked Media's Pod Save the World, Ben Rhodes, is in Glasgow right now. He is touring with former President Obama, and he took a few minutes right now from his hotel room in the Scottish countryside to catch up with us for a dispatch. Ben, welcome back to What A Day. Thanks, guys. So you have been in Glasgow for a few days now. Tell us a little bit about the atmosphere, you know, what you've been doing day to day and and what you've seen so far. It's a very mixed feeling here, right? There's a lot of work being done, a lot of tired people who've been at it. It's a two-week summit. That's unusual. It's a long time, but that's because, you know, there's every day there's a different theme. You know, there's a different issue. There's all these different work streams happening at the same time. Um, At the same time, there's an enormous amount of activists in civil society here, you know, putting pressure on people to do more. Yeah, Ben, like you said, you uh, were there with President Obama when he was there, and he said things like this. Those of us who live in big, wealthy nations, those of us who help to precipitate the problem, we have an added burden to make sure that we are working with and helping and assisting uh, those who are less responsible and less able, but are more vulnerable to this oncoming crisis. So far, what's been the international reception to him in the United States making statements like that, especially considering how, under former President Trump, our country went in a very different direction on making promises and progress to combat the climate crisis? You know, Obama, people were glad to see him. It's been a while since he's been on the world stage. He got a really good reception. And, and, you know, I think he came at a time when the summit needed a bit of a shot in the arm heading into the second week. I think people are really excited that the U.S. is here and back engaged in this process. We kind of built this thing with the Paris Agreement. On the other hand, you know, I think there's a frustration that the U.S. has not done more, mm-hmm. that Trump derailed this process for four years, took his foot off the gas in ways that made it easier for countries like China and Russia, who aren't even here at the head of state level, to take their foot off the gas. And maybe that's not the best analogy. Take their foot off the gas of an electric vehicle, I should say. Um, <laughs> and also that the U.S. just, you know, uh, the comment that Obama made was recognizing that we have made pretty good progress in meeting our targets and transitioning our economy particularly if we get the Build Back Better bill, but the financing, the funding for poorer nations to mitigate the effects of climate change 
um, but also to develop clean energy themselves so that we're not telling the global south, hey, you guys can't build coal plants like we did. Right. You know, If we're going to do that, we need to give them financing. We need to give them direct support so that they can develop clean energy. We owe them that. Right. I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the other countries who aren't there. So we don't have the participation of a few key countries, China and Russia at this conference. How much progress do you think can be made without, you know, such key players in attendance and agreeing to these same things? You know, I think the the combination of the absence of the leadership, particularly from China and Xi Jinping, because yeah. they're the world's biggest emitter, coupled with the absence of a new commitment to accelerate their reduction in CO2 emissions, that's what's, you know, causing some concern here. Got it. Everybody's got to be continually raising their ambition, doing more. That's the only way this works. It's the only way we get to a limit of 1.5 degrees Celsius. And absent China doing more, and the U.S., by the way, doing more, it's not just on China, but all of us, um, we're not going to get there. So last week, thousands of climate change activists kind of descended on the conference and you know, they were protesting the lack of global action. It almost feels like, you know, there are two different things going on. So you interviewed a few of them, like Luisa Neubauer, who helped start the Fridays for the Future of School Strike movement in Germany. Here is a portion of what she said to you. So there is this a huge conference hall, those very long floors, the, the people in the suits doing the very important paperwork, yet also something that feels often very distant to us. And then there is the activist side of things, and that is really in Glasgow um, that's special. We see that there's a climate justice summit happening, organized by local citizens, and we see those massive protests. We are just two last week, and you would look around and you would really see you know, indigenous folks leading it. You would see the African voice as being so powerful and strong. You would see signs in every single language. I was hoping you could tell us a little more about what you've seen from the activists and how they have been influencing the conversations both there and you know, in coverage of this event. Well, this is my third COP. There have never been this many activists, yeah. um, not even close. The movement is clearly built. And it clearly is providing political pressure. It's clearly making people feel, pardon the pun, the heat um, on this issue. And here's a key takeaway I'd say, Priyanka, is that, you know, there's no accountability in terms of measuring these commitments. They're made. And it's kind of like, hey, trust us, activists. We just made this commitment to net zero by X year. You know, it's almost like an ad campaign, you know, net zero by 2030. And, and I think what the activists kind of want is like, show us why we should trust you. So you said two things that really stand out to me. The first is that even if every country meets their obligations or their promises, it still won't be enough to fully address climate change. And then you also said that there's really no accountability process for these countries' promises. There's no way to really know if they're meeting the goals that they have set out. So if those two things are true, what do you think the solution is or what do you think the next steps are? I mean, there's some accountability in the sense that the national government commitments, for instance, there's a process to measure those. And you can kind of tell you know, who's, who's meeting their commitments and who's not. Part of what's more amorphous is like these private sector commitments. Companies saying they're going to have a net zero target or uh, banks saying they're going to mobilize all these trillions of dollars. And I think you just need to build in over time, like quite literally, like an accounting mechanism. And we need to also shift from pledges to demonstration, right? Like um, again, what are we doing to protect forests and to 
compensate communities who, you know, have borne the brunt of this. Again, governments have more reporting requirements under the Paris process, so there's a little bit more accountability there. But when they're saying things like, by 2050, this will happen, well, maybe you also need to provide more detail about how you're going to get from here to 2050. You know, just more specificity, I think, would help. I want to ask you what impact you think this is going to have on our domestic policies here in America, and especially as we wait for a vote on Build Back Better. Do you think that, you know, what's happening at COP is is affecting that? Without Build Back Better, we're pretty screwed. Right. (laughs) That half a trillion is kind of the linchpin of the American commitment and has the potential of really unleashing the renewable energy industry in this country and around the world. And um, there were a bunch of members of Congress here huge Democratic congressional delegation that definitely heard the message that, you know, if you guys do this, that's great. If you don't, that's a big problem. And what is the Republican Party, you know, like, what if they come back? You know, what if Donald Trump wins? And even if you do build back better, you know, if Donald Trump is president again in two and a half years, like, the world's really screwed on this issue, you know? Um, So American politics kind of cast a shadow. But on the other hand, I think it gives added incentive for the importance of the climate funding in that bill to the whole planet. <laughs> you know, like that's the whole planet's at stake, as well as a lot of American jobs and, and, and American environmental sustainability. Ben, finally, after you board your flight back to the U.S., what impression of the conference do you think you'll be leaving with? I've almost never interacted with an issue as complicated as this. There's so many aspects to it. You know, it's not just the funding from legislation. It's funding new industries. It's regulating. It's financing clean development. It's helping with the adaptation for countries that are dealing with the effects of climate change. It's this equation with a million different pieces, you know, and everything is at stake. And to me, you know, you're at something like this and you're thinking, like, why isn't this the most important (laughs) issue in the world? Like, why don't we talk more about this in the United States? You know, like, this is like, literally, it's all on the line here. Ben Rhodes, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. And catch Ben with more from the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow on the latest episode of Pod Save the World out today. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And that's the latest for now. Wednesday, Wad Squad, and for today's Temp Check, we are talking about what happens when brands underestimate our desire to post. This week, a company called Plant-A-Tree Co. promised to plant one tree for every pet picture posted to Instagram. And their promise went hugely viral with over 4.1 million people participating through a new feature of the app called the Add Yours sticker. Now, Simple math would tell us that 4.1 million participants should equal 4.1 million new trees sprouting up as soon as possible. But the issue is that by its own account, Plant-A-Tree-Co has planted fewer than 7,000 trees to date. So jumping into the million tree tier would be a huge undertaking, which only someone like Johnny Appleseed or God could possibly succeed at. Plant-A-Tree-Co cleared things up in an Instagram post. They said that within 10 minutes of posting their sticker, they became aware of the tree planting monster that they had created, and they deleted it. Unfortunately for them, Instagram only took their name off of the sticker and let it continue to circulate. Plant-A-Tree-Co is still raising money to plant an indeterminate number of trees. Maybe 10 or 11 is a little more realistic for them. But Josie, from your perspective, what is the lesson to be learned from all of this? You know, we have... COP26 happening. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. 
We have all of these world leaders together, like trying to figure out climate change. Honestly, the answer is to plant 4.1 million trees all together as a community, as a world. Should they join Plant a Tree Co. and for all of our pet picks, they plant the trees? Yeah, I honestly think this is like we're getting the answer to all of our problems right here. Plant a Tree Co. has figured it out. Instagram and Planet Trico together, Instagram, <laughs> along with most governments in the world, are going to have to band together. I love that Instagram was like, they tried, they saw what happened. In 10 minutes, they were like, oh shit, right. we can't do this. But Instagram was like, nah, like, we're just going to keep it up. Like, what? Count on Instagram to, like, somehow ruin this. This is so funny. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Well, anyways, this is what happens when viral things happen. We can enjoy nothing. The pet pictures were cute, but, like, you're accomplishing nothing sustainability-wise, climate change combating-wise when you post them on Instagram. So you also have to do, like, now maybe if you posted a pet pic, you have to plant a tree. That's going to be my takeaway. You have to plant a tree. Maybe your pet has to plant a tree. Yeah. Get the pets to do something. Someone has to plant a tree. Something Perfect. has to plant a tree. Just like that, we have checked our temps. We will be back after some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, and that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash wad today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash wad. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Moderna and the federal government are at odds over who gets the credit for creating the company's coronavirus vaccine. The drug maker collaborated with the National Institutes of Health for four years on the vaccine's underlying technology, and the government gave it $10 billion in taxpayer money to help develop it. But the New York Times reports that in July, Moderna filed an application to patent that special technology, and it dropped the name of the three NIH scientists it worked with. Obviously, true vaccine heads know the names of everyone on these research teams by heart, but there is a very important practical consequence of whose names make it onto the paper. If that patent is approved without those federal employees, it means that the government will have a limited say in which other companies can make the vaccine and which countries can get access. The NIH has been trying to work out the dispute with Moderna for over a year, even before they filed this patent application. And if this continues, the government could take the company to court. Meanwhile, in other drug company news, Oklahoma Supreme Court overturned an almost half billion dollar judgment against Johnson & Johnson yesterday. A lower court found Johnson & Johnson guilty in the nation's first trial of whether states can hold drug makers responsible for the country's opioid epidemic. But the high court overturned that ruling, saying the company did not violate the state's public nuisance law for making, marketing, and selling prescription opioids. This lawsuit is one of thousands being tried in courts across the country against the drug industry. There is an ongoing crisis at the Poland-Belarus border, which has left thousands of migrants stranded in brutally cold and life-threatening conditions. Poland, the European Union, and the U.S. State Department have accused Belarus and the country's far-right populist leader, Alexander Lukashenko, of orchestrating the crisis. They say that he invited in migrants and directed them to Poland's border, as well as the country's border with Lithuania, as a form of retaliation against EU sanctions that were placed on Belarus after the country took action to silence or arrest journalists and individuals who called its national elections last year fraudulent. The EU is considering more sanctions as a result of Belarus's recent actions. Nearly 12,000 Polish troops are currently stationed at the border to stop migrants from crossing. Several people have already died at the border zone, and human rights officials at the UN have urged Poland and Russia to stop using refugees as political pawns. Hot solidarity is brewing at Starbucks. You like that one? You love to see it. <laughs> With workers at three more locations in Buffalo, New York, filing for union elections yesterday, they joined workers at three other Starbucks in the city who are seeking to unionize their workplaces. As of now, none of the 9,000 Starbucks locations nationwide have union representation. As we've said before, Starbucks seems to be pulling out all the stops to ensure that the pro-union workers don't succeed, short of feeding them to the actual mermaid. Ballots are supposed to start going out today, but on Monday, Starbucks filed a motion to put that process on hold while it appealed a ruling that would allow the participating cafes to vote in separate elections rather than together in one election. The latter approach actually tends to favor employers. On the other side, the union seeking to represent the Starbucks employees has filed a charge with the National Labor Relations Board accusing the company of using threats, intimidation, surveillance, and more in attempts to interfere with the election. Have helped to absolutely no one at all. At all. For comments... <laughs> were comments made by former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz at a tacitly anti-union speech to Buffalo area workers this weekend. 
The one-time presidential hopeful invoked the Holocaust and said that Starbucks has always modeled its values after Jewish people who showed courage and compassion while imprisoned in concentration camps. Like, my God. If you're wondering why that means these workers should not join a union, your guess is as good as ours. Dude, you guys are selling coffee. Like, what are you talking about? That is clinically insane. And it's, again, 99 times out of 100, you just should not compare your situation to the Holocaust. Yeah. Like, people always do. I mean, just, like, don't do that. That's just weird. And it's not appropriate. It's never appropriate. People are a little quick to make that comparison. They're they're really quick to jump to the Holocaust. I just feel like it's rarely Holocaust-level serious. Shouldn't be, like, that top of mind, everybody. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. Celebrate two years of What A Day Pods, breaking down the biggest news of the day with your very own What A Day band tee from the Cricket Store. Plus, a portion of every order in the Cricket Store is donated to vote writers. Shop all Cricket merch at cricket.com slash store. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, plant a tree, and tell your friends to listen. And if you are into reading and not just government scientists' names on patents like me, What A Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And be, be patient, patient with, with your, your Christmas, Christmas decorations. decorations. At least the outside right now. You can have it inside your home. No one knows what goes on there. That's fine. Why you got to do it on the outside? Well, actually, no. You can't do it anywhere. I say no. Anywhere. <laughs> Josie has a harsher stance than I do. I will be coming to your house to make sure that your Christmas decorations are not up until, you know, after Thanksgiving. That's a reasonable time. That is. In your post-turkey haze. What a Day is a production of Cricket Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine is our associate producer. Our head writer is John Milstein. And our executive producers are Leo Duran and myself. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts.